John, there is something about the NFL that leads us to be hypercritical because there's time between each play. There's time between each game. There is so much time to analyze, to look ahead, to look back, to second guess. Uh, and all that's legitimate. And when you look at a Vikings team that has almost lost a bunch of bad teams, you could just stay on that path and say, hey, they aren't doing this well. They're not doing this well. They need to do this better. The reality is they're four and one. And the way the NFL and the NFC and in the NFC North looks this year, you just by beating bad teams in close games, you could get to 12 or 13 victories and win the division. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. I mean, there are a bunch of flawed teams right now, and I think the Vikings are a flawed team, but they are winning the games that they have to win to put themselves in position to be in the playoff hunt, to to have a decent seed, all of those things. Um, I don't think that we need to be crowning the Vikings after wins over the Saints, Lions, and Bears. I, I just don't. I, I I think that there is understandable skepticism or at least understandable confusion about how good this team really is because the one test that they've really gotten, now the Packers game, the, the Green Bay looks a little shaky, uh, but still I'm going to say that's a good win no matter what. Sure. Um, but the, the Philadelphia game was was a, a, a real uh, kick in the pants for against a very good team. So I think there's a little wariness there, which I totally understand, but I will absolutely give the Vikings credit that the best way to go kind of go forward through a season is to have these games where you're trying to figure things out, where you're not all, you're not perfect from start to finish and you still find a way to win them. And so if they can learn and acclimate through their losses. It's a lot, or through their wins. It's a lot better than learning and acclimating through their losses and being behind the eight ball. So they put themselves in about as good a position as you could hope for at this point. Eventually, here the schedule is going to 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 get a little tougher. We'll see about Miami this week. Then down the road, there's Buffalo and Dallas. But um, but for right now, they're doing what they need to do to kind of survive and you hope that as the season goes along, they kind of smooth out a lot of the wrinkles that they've been seeing. And, um, and, and, and then the, the quality of their own play kind of rises as the playoffs approach. This is the Viking update show. This is part of TalkNorth.com. We also have Jeff diamonds, Vikings and NFL ins- insider on this network, plus like eight hockey shows and, uh, and, you know, Russo on hockey, um, Smalley and Lavelle on baseball, John Millay. We just have a great lineup. And of course, check out the John Krasinski show on the Timberwolves and the NBA. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And thank you to Starbank, the Minnesota State Lottery, and the Grain Belt Camel Pack. Thanks also to Head Flyer Brewing, who sponsors the John Krasinski show and had us out for a live show where we drew hundreds of people. Thanks to John. Uh, thanks to everyone who's made TalkNorth.com a success. We do appreciate it. So, this kind of reminds me, uh, I started covering the Twins in 1993. So I covered a lot of people who won two World Series, but I covered them as the, the franchise was going downhill. And I remember I was talking to one of the coaches, uh, someone who was a coach on, in 87 and 91. He was part of the championship teams. And we were talking about some of the differences between the 80, you know, the championship teams, the teams between the championship teams, and the teams that were starting to fall apart in the early 90s. And he said, you know, uh, nobody's ever allowed to say this in sports and I'm not going to say it on the record, but sometimes there's just a lot of luck involved. 
And yeah. it's so true. You know, it's, it's so true. And anybody who says it is going to get excuse, accused of making excuses or, you know, or bringing some mystical outside element in. The reality is the Vikings got to play Detroit at home when DeAndre Swift wasn't healthy. They got to play the Saints on a neutral site with none of their good skill position players healthy. Uh, they got to play the Bears with David Montgomery, maybe their best skill position player uh, with a bad ankle and not contributing much. They got to play the Packers without Bakhtiari and Lazard. Um, you know, I mean, there is a lot of luck here, but you also need to take advantage when you have some luck. And I'll, I always go back to that 98 Vikings team. They were great. They were great offensively. And they also played one of the worst slate of quarterbacks you will ever see in a regular season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the season is so long, even longer now with the extra game, that you just have to take a take advantage of those uh, opportunities and that luck when it comes your way. B, hope you stay healthier than teams because maybe they play Miami without Tua or Teddy Bridgewater this week. I mean, um, you know, those are the things that happen. But this game is brutal enough that it's going to swing back your way that that bad luck, you know, the, those, whether it's, you know, whether it's through injuries, whether it's through uh, a double doink, uh, whether it's through any of, you know, the, the, the myriad ways that it can happen, that uh, the way to pile up wins, pile up momentum and get a little bit of confidence and belief going is to take advantage of that luck. And it's, I think, especially important for this group, Jim, because, this is all new, new coaching staff, new uh, lead decision maker. Um, and, and so when everything is new and fresh like that, the more times you have some success, whether it's luck or not, it's going to inspire confidence in the group as a whole, in the leadership, faith in the decisions that are being made, all of those things. And that can pay big dividends as the season goes along, as adversity hits, all of those things. So they are they're having success early for a number of reasons. Some of it is earned. I mean, Kirk Cousins completed 17 passes in a row against uh, against Chicago. That is nothing to discount. Um, and you know, and uh, Justin Jefferson has been unbelievable. That's nothing to discount. And so you you can add those elements in of they are earning some of their success, but they're also getting some help along the way. And you put those two things together, you're four and one. If you get to five, six and one, all of a sudden you're feeling really good about your chances. And then you go into games against Buffalo, against Dallas with a lot more confidence, with a lot of more belief in kind of the system that has been installed. And belief is a big thing in the NFL. You need that in your locker room to really have a chance in the in the toughest of weeks. And I think that that's legit. Uh, now, one of the things we do as sports journalists is try to, uh, you know, try to get past the easy cliches that athletes will offer. Most athletes will say nice things about their team and their teammates, even if inside they're not real happy, uh, just because that's the easiest way to that. That's the the path of least resistance. And they don't want to, maybe they don't want to be a, a controversial figure. Maybe they're just going to swallow their pride and deal with it in the off season. I, I do think that what we've heard about O'Connell and the offensive coaches has been legitimate. Uh, and, and, you know, like when Thielen talks about it, he doesn't try to say that everything's perfect or, you know, that everything's gone to plan, but he seems to really be happy with the way they're coached, 
with the intelligence of the coaching, with the game planning. And, and here's my pet here, here's my pet theory about this offense right now, John. I'll run it past you, see what you think. I think that, by the way, this this the Vikings have been a terrible third quarter team. They've been horrific in the third quarter. They have been excellent in the first quarter, particularly on the first drive when you have you're basically running your scripted plays that you practiced all week in order. Uh, they've been very good late when they really need a score, uh, and and that, again they were that on Sunday when Kirk Cousins brought them down and and scored the winning touchdown. In between, it's been pretty hit and miss. My theory is uh, this is a bright offensive staff. And when they script plays, those plays are going to work. And you see wide open receivers in the first quarter because they know exactly how to attack the defense. And when they really just need to score in something of a hurry, I think that's that actually kind of takes Kirk out of his cautious mode and he just slings it to the first open person he sees. And I think he's really good when he does that. I think in between when the defense starts adjusting and now Cousins has a few doubts about what's going to work, I think that's when this offense has been at its worst. Yeah, I, I think so. And and it yes, I think the the adjustments element of it is sometimes can be overplayed, but it does seem to be playing a role in some of the lulls that happen for the Vikings in the middle of games. Uh, you do see, you have seen, especially this last week, I, I, I think that, you know, they came out in the first quarter and Jefferson was running wide open all over the place all the time. And then um, as the game went on, I think the Bears made some adjustments to how they cover and made it a little more difficult, which is to say it wasn't just pitch and catch for Cousins and Jefferson like it was in the first quarter and a half of the game. Um, part of it, I will say, is that I think that the defense remains a major issue. And, yep. you know, the 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 offense had one possession in the third quarter. They went, they had, what, six plays or five plays, and they were out, and then they never got the ball back. And because the defense is just letting Justin Fields and a starless Chicago offense do whatever it wanted. And so that's a big problem. But also the other part that I kind of wrote about after the game was the NFL – and the parody and the rules and all of that are de is designed today in this day and age for close games. Uh, last week, I think 15 of the 16 games on Sunday were one score games in the late in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I think and, that's a record too. Right. And, and, and so you have that part of it where they just have a lot of teams that are, you know, are not going to be capable of putting their foot on the gas at the start and, sustaining that all the way through you have Kirk Cousins who as a quarterback has shown the ability to ride the roller coaster to where he looks terrific and downright perfect and then a little jittery as the game tightens up and so all of that conspires to say like just get used to it like this is the way that it's probably going to be for the rest of the season when you are in an NFL that breeds uh, competitiveness and is a is a petri dish for parity and for 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 close games and then you have a quarterback who uh is a little inconsistent and he had unbelievable moments both early and late uh on sunday he has been generally really really good late in the fourth quarters of these games to get scores that they need 
um, and and deserves all the credit for that. But he's also a guy that will uh, hit a road bump here or there and have a little trouble kind of wiggling out of that for for a few series. And when you have that trouble and you have a defense that, let's face it, um, doesn't look like it can stop anybody right now, um, you know, that's going to be a recipe for a lot of nail biting, a lot of tension. And fortunately for the Vikings so far, it's led to a lot of wins. I have a, a thought about halftime adjustments. Let's get to that after we thank StarBank. Big banks aren't the only ones with mobile apps and convenient financial services. I'd like to tell you about StarBank. StarBank is an independent community bank in Minnesota. They're family owned and treat customer relationships as a top priority. You're not a customer number at StarBank and they have no call center. It's just banking how it should be. A throwback to the good days, mobile app check, convenient services. You got it. Check out StarBank for yourself. For deposits and lending solutions, work with a local community bank that cares. StarBank net member FDIC and equal housing lender. We'd also like to thank the Minnesota State Lottery and especially the Vikings scratch-off game edition. It's the time of year to go big, to grab your passion by the horns, to let your purple flag fly. The Minnesota Lottery's Vikings big ticket scratch game is here to help you do just that. With $10.2 million in total cash prizes, you'd think that's as big as it gets. But the ticket is so large, it has huge second-chance prizes, too. So say I'm in. Minnesota Lottery. Must be 18 or older to go big. And thanks also to the tradition, uh, the, the legacy of Grain Belt and the Grain Belt Camo Pack. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. And of course, shout out to Head Flyer for hosting the John Krasinski show last week. That was a blast. Uh, I guess it was two weeks ago now, but uh, huge crowd. And and thanks to everyone who came out. Uh, you know, I, I've been lucky. I've covered a lot of Hall of Fame level coaches, and I covered a lot of them in an era where I could actually sit in the room and break down film with them and, and have them explain the game to me. And I think one of the grotesque, most grotesque cliches in football and the one that seems to resonate the most with fans is the halftime adjustment. Mm -hmm. You know what happens at halftime? Uh, they have 12 minutes. It <laughs> takes them about two minutes to get into the locker room. Okay, that's 10 minutes. Most of them have to go to the bathroom. That's nine or eight minutes. Uh, then they'll sometimes they'll gather with their position coach and chat about a couple things, and then they'll like tape up a little bit more, and they'll go back out for warm-ups. The they have about three minutes in the locker room to make halftime adjustments. You know why they make adjustments? They make adjustments every time they come off the field. They're standing mm -hmm. there with their coaches and their entire unit. You don't wait until halftime to make adjustments. If you, if you wait, if there's something that needs to be adjusted and you wait until halftime, you're an idiot. You're standing there on a sideline with your coaches and, and the coaches are up in the press box or communicating with you. Nobody waits to halftime to make an adjustment. It's it's exactly right, and if you are waiting, it's usually too late. Yes, um, and and so I do think that there is value in the in-game adjustments, like you said, coming off of oh, yeah. the field, uh, looking at the video on your iPad, and like and digesting and say, okay, 
What are they doing that we didn't expect and how do we change that? Um, that's great. But yes, there, there, there's not this sort of, um, meeting of the minds at halftime and some grand epiphany that comes or some fiery speech that comes and then that comes out and changes everything in the third quarter. You know, one big part I think that is overlooked in the whole uh, overrating the halftime adjustment thing is, is that when you come out into the third quarter, that means the game has gotten longer. And generally as the game gets longer, the good teams sustain their good play the bad teams find a way to shoot themselves in the foot and so in in some ways it's a marathon even though you know it's a it's a 60 minute game it's a marathon because you're trying to play long enough to where the talent level and the execution level rises above your hopefully inferior opponent and I do think there has been some of that now on on Sunday it was the opposite the Bears looked terrible early and then kind of got their footing and got going as the game went on. And it was the Vikings who sort of uh, kind of fell back down to earth after looking like the 98 Vikings on the first three drives. And so really, it's often just the the elapse of time that reveals the true character of teams more than there are these mad scientists that are cooking up plays, you know, and 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 drawing them on the whiteboard and saying, let's go do this. Also, uh, because the game is complex and because NFL people love using complex language and jargon to describe it, uh, people think it's much more complicated than it is. Uh, I, you know, I, I covered Tony Dungy and Tony would actually show me game plans. It was like tackle better. Uh, okay. You know, okay. It's okay. We're going out in the third quarter and we're, we're behind. Okay. You know what we're going to do? Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to move John Randall. Uh, about three feet to the left, so he's a better angle rushing the passer. It's not like it's not, it's not physics. It's just simple stuff that you just do in the course of a game, and you would do it whether you're in in the locker room or on the sideline or wherever. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the whole um, apparatus of of making the game seem complicated is obviously. Uh, done intentionally by the coaches, by people involved in football to make it seem like, no, I'm the one who understands you guys yep. can never do this. Yep. And look, there's, there's some of that to it. There's complexities to the game and, and there's a lot going on, but uh, there's absolutely putting, um, you know, p- trying to make this look like you have to be a genius from a football standpoint to survive in this league when yes, um, you know, whether it's Tony Dungy, I do think Bill Belichick is another one who has done a great job over the years of just simplifying things. Often it's the very best coaches who, who make things as simple and as easy to digest as it possibly can. And that's what gets their players playing fast and playing at a high level is that they just have a great understanding because whatever they're doing is presented to them in very simple, easy to understand terms. Uh, remember that crappy little media room out at Winter Park? Oh, yeah. It smelled bad uh, yes. and had about five chairs. Uh, usually I would work late on Friday afternoon doing all my Sunday stuff, including the Sunday notebook, which no longer exists in newspapers anymore. And <clears throat> Dungey would come down and sometimes just talk through sometimes just talk through the game plan, sometimes actually show me. He showed me the game, their game plan one year, uh, probably 92, 
uh, they were going to play the 49ers. And he showed me the game. This is Joe, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, John Taylor. You know, it was a, a great, great team with superstars, right? He didn't even have these guys' names written down on the game plan. It was number 16 and number 80. Number 80. And, and like, so his instructions on how to play against the great Jerry Rice, maybe the greatest football player who ever lived, uh, were uh, stay over the top, make sure to tackle. Yeah. Yep. That's it. It was yeah. that simple. Yes. And I, I, so he, I do wonder though, like in this modern age, and we've talked a little bit about it on this podcast and, and, and others is there are not as many of the 49ers of the eighties, Steelers of the seventies, Cowboys and Packers and uh, giants of the nineties and things like that. Uh, Broncos, like there are so many teams that are so tightly packed together in, mm -hmm. in talent. Um, and have so many holes and flaws, maybe it does take a little bit more to sort of paper over those. Whereas, yeah, if you have Joe Montana thrown to Jerry Rice, uh, it's probably a pretty good idea just to throw the ball out there and say, yeah, go make something happen. Um, you know, Kevin O'Connell is trying to figure out how to make sure that Ed Ingram doesn't you know, look like a turnstile, is mm -hmm. trying to keep Dalvin Cook involved, trying to get uh, Justin Jefferson singled up. Um, you know, trying to make sure that uh, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, who, oh my God, Jim, Zadarius Smith on the on the Justin Fields run for a touchdown that got called yeah. back for a flag. Yep, Zadarius was like walking in, in yep. comparison to when Fields turned the corner on him. Like that was like unbelievable. Like just how stuck in mud he looked. But they're trying to figure out. Um, how to paper over all of this stuff that's a little bit different than when you have Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and Harry Carson and 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 all that. So um that's an interesting part of it. But yes, I I just think overall the ability to synthesize and streamline and simplify is generally going to be the more successful path um forward for, you know, rather than being a galaxy brained, you know, um 700 page playbook kind of a guy with 18 different uh varieties of variations off of one route tree and all this stuff right i think the great coaches have complex ideas that they're able to teach in a very direct and simple way and in simple language uh all right back to modern times here uh Dantzler has been a big question mark third round draft pick so it's not like he was a high first round draft pick and he had to save the, the franchise but you know he and Ladney were supposed to become starting cornerbacks who solved a problem uh you know rest in peace to jeff Ladney. uh Dantzler's third round draft pick. Uh, he gave up the key touchdown of the entire season last year. Might have gotten everybody fired, uh, you know. And he's kind of a hit and miss player. I guess a lot of cornerbacks are hit and miss players by the nature of the position. But he made three big plays on Sunday that might have won the game, and he made a big play against the Saints. I mean, without Dantzler making plays, this might be a two and three team, and the conversation might be completely different. Yeah, I think that I think that. Um the that Cam Dantzler's play, the 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 strip of Smith Marset was really indicative of the Vikings defense as a whole. Um, you know, he on the play, he gets stiff armed down to the ground. He's on his hands and knees. It looks like the Bears are marching right down the field and are going to go down and either tie or win the game. Um you know, with a touchdown because the defense has really been faltering, but Dantzler got up, didn't give up on the play, ran back, 
chased Marset down, Smith Marset down, ripped the ball away, and benefited from probably a brain fart by the opponent, but he made that happen. He like took advantage of that. He didn't just go for a tackle. He ripped the ball out um, because he knew that Smith Marset kind of carried the ball like a loaf of bread from his time with the Vikings. So smart play, uh, really heads up, but he was beaten early on it. And I think that this defense so far has not really shown an ability to stop anybody. It's been bend, but don't break, but it's like, the, the the tree branch that is bending and not breaking is certainly separating from the rest of the tree and hanging on by a thread. And so that's what the Vikings were doing there. That's what Dantzler was doing. Um, Dantzler was typically thought to be on the outside looking in during the summer after they bring in Andrew Booth and Caleb Evans and, and the other reinforcements, Shannon Sullivan. Um, but he's kind of persevered. He's hung in there. He is he's done some good work and made some plays for them. And and the Vikings are I, I really believe that the Vikings probably won that game or at least did it run it in regulation because Dantzler made that play. I think that the Bears were going to go right down and score on them because I just did not have any faith in that defense to get some heat on fields, to come up with a sack, to come up with a turnover. Um, they made Justin Fields look way better than he really is. And I think that's a huge concern going forward for this team. When you talk about being able to sustain this winning, uh, yeah, you, you know, you wonder about Kirk Cousins ability to win big games and, and, and things like that. But it's this defense that I think is going to be once again, the thing that if something gets in the way of them, not, you know, kind of going into the playoffs, not having uh, success in the playoffs, I would put a lot more money on the defense being the culprit than Kirk Cousins in the offense. Uh, probably true. And so we fascinating to see it all play out. I'm going down to Miami this weekend. Uh, we're not going to talk a lot about the Dolphins. We don't know who's going to play quarterback for them. I hate to see Teddy get hurt. Uh, it's a shame. Hate to see Tua get hurt because I think I thought the Dolphins had a chance to be the story of the NFL. And then they don't take Tua off the field when he's obviously injured. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, McDaniel's no longer is the guy that I mean I wanted to really love this guy I wanted to yeah. love that team and it's just hard to give him any credit at this point yeah it is and and I think like it was interesting um for the Teddy injury that they said that he passed all the concussion protocols uh but they're keeping him out out of caution and basically admitting, look, we really messed up that Tua thing and we are not going to do that again. Yep. We're going to be overly conservative with it. And um, that means we're going to lose this game because of it. But uh, it just boggles my mind the way that they handled that whole thing. And the other thing that really kind of gets me going is that the investigation revealed that nothing that the that the dolphins did not um violate the protocols or did nothing untoward but oh by the way uh they've fired the doctor that was yep. involved and yep. we've also adopted new protocols in lightning fast fashion like immediately when nothing like that ever happens that quickly in the NFL it's 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 it happens in the blink of an eye and that tells you that the Dolphins really, really screwed this up. Hopefully it didn't do long-term damage to Tua because it was just so obvious in the moment. And then to say that he had a back injury, it's like, come on, like, 
So what stupid. are we doing here? Just so stupid. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I hope I get I hope we get to see Tua on Sunday just for the sake of entertainment. But I also only I want to see him if he's completely healthy. Uh, let's go. You know, we usually pick games. I don't even know if we can pick this one because we're going to play quarterback for the Dolphins. So let's just instead of pretending we have any idea what's going to happen, just give me one thing you'll be looking for on Sunday. Yeah, Jim. I just like I want to. Can I see a pass rush? Like, can I see? Um, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith and maybe whether it's Eric Hendricks or Hicks or somebody getting into the backfield and disrupting like it just it has not been there Um, Justin Fields should not have looked at that and felt that comfortable and even though he, he, he made a couple nice plays with his legs to not be around him more often than they were is is a real problem so uh, sooner or later, Ed Donatel, Daniil Hunter, Zedaris, all these guys are going to have to figure something out to generate more heat on quarterbacks, or else uh, this all of all of this good start it's going to start to uh, to fall apart on them because uh, they're just not getting enough uh, pressure. And and Zedaris Smith, unfortunately, right now looks really really slow. And um, I you know whether he's dealing with an injury or whether he's aging or whatever it is, uh, we, they got to find a way to, to kind of get him in space and get him going a little bit more. Yes. Uh, my observation is if, if that pass rush isn't there, then this secondary, which is held up uh, in general, it's done its job, made enough big plays uh, might have a lot of trouble. If there's a quarterback who's capable of getting the ball out, might have a lot of trouble against these receivers. Uh, the, Vikings have had a, have been pretty lucky. They haven't had to go against top-notch receivers other than uh, against Philadelphia, where, where Brown had a really nice game. They've got they've dodged. They didn't have to play Lazard. They didn't have to play against Michael Thomas. Uh, the Bears really don't have a star uh, receiver. Uh, the Lions tore them up pretty good in the passing game when they, when they had any time to throw. So I'm I'm even though the Vikings should win this game. That's where they could lose it is if they cannot cover Hill and Waddle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and those they are like you said, they're super explosive guys. I mean, this is Mooney's a nice player, but he's not Tyreek Hill. Um, and and so they are going to ha- and that even increases the importance on that pass rush to try. You, you cannot give uh, whoever is throwing to those guys time because they're going to get open um, against this secondary or any secondary. Um, and so this will be probably, yeah, this will probably be their biggest test from a receiver standpoint, except for Philadelphia, which those receivers are really, really good. So, um, how they hold up against that, uh, that that'll be tough and it's going to be hot down there. Um, you know, we saw Buffalo go down there and, and lose because I think that they were, they were dehydrated and, and, and just kind of, uh, couldn't, you know, they wilted in the heat a little bit. And so how the Vikings handle that part of it will be interesting as well. No doubt. We'll be back next week to talk about it. Thanks for listening to talknorth.com. We do recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. And check out all the rest of the shows at talknorth.com.